Your hour of Thrive Time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. The Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and I'm excited that you're joining us for your hour of Thrive Time. If you're joining our show for the very first time today, I want to thank you for being a part of what I believe is a movement, is your hour of Thrive Time movement. The Jay Mamie Talk Show continues to make gains in audience listenership, not only locally here in the DFW area, but nationally and internationally. So you have arrived at the right place at the right time for your hour of content here where I believe today is going to be yet another powerful show of content that's delivered by our amazing speakers that we're going to hear from in just a short while. But I want you to know that we started last week our fall theme, our 2021 fall theme of our programming, which is called A Thriving You in 22. And everything that we're doing from now on until the end of the year is about you being able to to gather the content needed for you to thrive in 22. And I hope you're ready for that. I hope you appreciate that. And by the way, if you've not had a chance to check out our show site, make sure you go to the jmamietalkshow.com. There you'll find all of our previous episodes at our archive section. You'll have a chance to hear from some of those that have been on the show before. Check out the reviews. Check out the testimonials. I think you'll be excited to know that you're hour that you're investing with us in this show will have great returns, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. And we've got fantastic guests to add to our incredible programming. And you're going to hear from those guests today. In fact, let's get started. My first guest today on the show is someone that has been on the show prior. And the reason that he is back again for another uh, airtime with us is because he's just released his latest book, and we're going to have a chance to chat with Matt McDarby about his latest book, The Divine Comedy of Sales. But just so that you understand who Matt Darby is, not only is he a sales leadership coach, but he's also really passionate about helping others achieve sales leadership excellence. He's an award-winning author. We're going to talk about his next book. He's the founder and CEO of United Sales Resources, and we're excited to have Matthew back. Matthew, welcome back on the show. Hey, Jay. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be with you. Really exciting to have the conversation today. Well, Matt, let's take a minute or two just to have our new listeners get up to speed by sharing a little bit about your story. Sure. Yeah. Well, the short version of it, Jay, is that I'm a career uh, salesperson who started out like a lot of salespeople do, who, you know, kind of average in how I did the job and my performance. And really the first, I'll say the first eight or nine years of my career, roughly the first third or so, um, you know, knocked around like a lot of sellers do, kind of figuring things out on my own and, and uh, you know, did okay. A lot of years hit my targets, missed some, exceeded by a little bit. And it wasn't until I had a chance to be exposed to really great professional sellers and great coaches that I started to realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm not doing this right. right? So, um, you know, I've got a lot of passion around development and coaching others. Uh, you know, today and for the last 11 years or so, I've been focused on the coaching and development of sales managers specifically. We'll get into that later. But, um, you know, this is my way of giving back. Uh, I know what the, what it feels like to have a great coach and to be surrounded by great examples and people that show you what great looks like. And it has a huge impact on how you perform as a professional. And so that's me in a nutshell, right? It was an average seller, developed into a great one with the help of a lot of others. My mission in, in my professional life is uh, to give back. So that's what I'm doing. 
Well, you're giving back indeed because you're one of the most sought-after uh, leadership coaches, sales coaches that I know of. And, and obviously, your third book now is already on its way to becoming a hit. But you were on our show prior for the your latest release prior to this one, The Cadence of Excellence. It's a fantastic book. And, and for those uh, that are listening to the first time, I encourage you to go back to my archive library and listen to Matthew speak about that book. But this new book here, The Divine Comedy of Sales, you know, a title sometimes says a lot about the the, the thoughts of the author and the message that they are they are sending through that book. But what inspired you to write this one? Well, I mean, uh, so the first book you referenced was The Cadence of Excellence, and that, that book really focuses on time and prioritization and how do you establish a rhythm or, an, you know, an operating rhythm with your team. And there's a lot of uh, the message there that people carry from that book is I really have to be disciplined about how I use my time. And that's a, that's a really important thing for them to know. But that's not the whole picture, right? There are other mm-hmm. things that leaders of sales organizations have to have to know and master. And one of them is how do you get the best out of your teams? Like how, what's the approach and what mindset should you have as a leader? Um, and that's why I wrote this book. And so the, the title connects up with, um, you know, you mentioned it's the divine comedy of sales. The subtitle is the sales manager's guide to virtuous leadership. But um, with my, with my editor's help, we chose that title the Divine Comedy, um, because for those of you who've ever, you know, written, read or part of that epic poem by Dante, it's like 750 mm-hmm. years old, goes back a few mm-hmm. years. One of its key sections deals with the seven deadly sins. And that was a framework that really inspired me to write this book. And we can talk more about the connection between the title and what's in the pages. But ultimately, it's about helping leaders to realize that there's more to the job than just setting an operating rhythm and using metrics and data to guide your team. You've got to crack the code on how to get the best out of them. And that's what this book is about. Well, I like the way that you've compared Dante's uh, poem where he does speak about the seven sins. But in this book, you talk about the seven great virtues and their impact on sales leadership, effectiveness, and sales performance. Can you share a little bit about your perspective on the seven virtues? Sure. Yeah, the book is mainly about the virtues, right, and and has uh, a, a lot of stories about real-world applications of these seven virtues, and they are, in, in no particular order, humility, goodwill, patience, diligence, generosity, self-control, and detachment. I can get into definitions here in a second, but the, the bottom line here is if you think about, for those of you listening who are either sales leaders yourselves, or if you think about your experience growing up in a sales organization, and if you think about the best leaders you've ever had, there's a really, really good chance right, that they, mm-hmm. they managed to get the best out of you and your colleagues because they demonstrated not just one of these virtues, but some combination of them. And that's really uh, one of the key points of the book, that the great power of these virtues comes when they are, when they work in combination with one another, not, you know, when they're not isolated. So a leader who demonstrates, you know, for example, humility and Mm -hmm. diligence, and generosity. Generosity usually means generosity of time in this context. Mm-hmm. When he or she demonstrates those in combination, you're going to be a more effective leader than one who's simply patient and doesn't demonstrate any of the other virtues, right? So, so the thrust of the book is let's consider the application of each of these virtues in a real-world sense to, to running a really effective and customer-focused, trust-building sales organization, but let's focus on how we can combine the virtues because the fact is probably every sales leader is going to demonstrate one right now, right? But we really, mm-hmm. in the book, 
get people to think about what does it look like when you demonstrate some of these other virtues and what's the impact of them? And so uh, that's what I think people should take away um, when they read about these virtues. You know, one of the one of the, the, the thoughts that I think about as you talk about these seven virtues is the conversation I had literally yesterday with one of my, my friends who's also struggling in his current job because they've assigned him a new sales manager who's come in from Boston. And he calls me up because he is frustrated that this sales manager is more like a, a, a tyrant and, yeah. and he, he brings a awful environment and awful persona to him and and is really creating in my friend a lot of anxiety that it's, it's is affecting his performance so why mm-hmm. do you believe in your opinion that sales managers why do they play such an important role not only in the business of success but also in mm-hmm. the culture of that organization yeah. well look i mean if you think about the impact that a sales manager has on you know, not only the expectations that are set for salespeople in the field, like what are they there to achieve? Why is that important? How do they need to go about achieving those things, right? They also have a big impact, kind of like the story about your friend. They, they have a huge impact on the degree to which you, the salespeople are actually motivated to execute on the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the best leaders that I know know how to build real, you know, I, don't, I think this is a word, followership. I hear people use it all the time. Um, you know, they create an environment where people put in not only a consistent, but a really positive and highly motivated sort of effort. And the leaders who are able to lead their teams to generate those consistently great results are the ones who know how to kind of demonstrate to their people that they are focused on them, right? In the example, Mm -hmm. again, that you offer, there's a sales manager who clearly has an agenda, right? He's got to drive a result. I'm assuming it's a he, I shouldn't do that. Is he or she, you know, is he or she so focused on the result that they want that they're forgetting that they're dealing with humans, right? Humans Mm -hmm. who have emotions, who have, you know, good days and bad days, who have days that are where they're highly motivated, days where they're not. And, uh, you know, the most attractive leaders are the ones who give their sellers the impression that they really care about them first. Because if I want, if I, if I demonstrate to my salespeople that I care about them and their development, for example, and I create an environment where I'm demonstrating these virtues consistently, I'm patient with them, I'm detached from immediate results, and I'm not all over them all the time. I'm, I'm, I demonstrate self-control, right? It's not about me and my urges and what I need all the time. If I do that, there's a much better chance than they're going to reflect that same sort of other focus when they're out in the field, when they're dealing with customers, when they're dealing with partners. And that's what I want. I want to know that my people feel like they're supported and they work in an environment where they're growing versus constantly being sort of held down and, uh, you know, pushed to achieve a result in an unrealistic sense. And that's where the, the, the seven deadly sins come back into play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pride, right. envy, right. ire, sloth, gluttony, lust, right? All of that. We try, to, we try to root that out. And if we do that, it builds a much more positive and motivating team culture. So in our last minute here, Matt, there's probably listeners that are thinking to themselves, Matt, Matt sounds great. Certainly a guy who is seasoned. But they're probably asking, why would we believe Matt when he says that he knows what separates great leaders from average ones? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, Jay, this is simply put, this is all I do, right? For most of the last decade more, I've Mm -hmm. observed, diagnosed behavior, coached and advised and worked shoulder to shoulder with sales leaders 
from all over the world, uh, you know, middle market companies, small companies, large. I've been a sales leader myself, taking on interim roles, and this is this is essentially all I think about, right? What is it that separates great sales leaders from average ones? And um, the advantage that you have when you think about one subject, and at least in a professional sense, is you get really deep insight and you see things that others don't see. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the books. So I would say to people, look, I if you know anyone else who spent as much time observing and diagnosing and coaching and supporting sales managers in the field as I have, listen to them. Um, you know, they have to have picked up on something <laughs> all that time. That's right. So I that's suggest, right. For me, it's the same thing, right? I, that's, that's, uh, it's not about what I know and how great a leader I am. It's what I've observed and learned from others and what I share with you. So I would hope that uh, you would go along with me for the ride and pick up these books and, and learn a little bit. and would love to hear from people down the line. Well, Matthew, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have someone back a second time, and that simply means it's an indication that they're doing something great. And this new book has a lot of buzz around it, the comedy of sales, uh, you know, the divine comedy of sales. And I encourage our listeners to go out and get it. We're going to put up uh, the information where people can order the book at our show site, the jamiemetarshow.com. And Matt, we appreciate you. And I know you've got a project coming up in the future. When that becomes available, you've got an open mic here to come back and talk about that as well. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jay, so much. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the conversation. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Hey, everyone. This is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I just want you to know that my book, my 10th book, is finally available, Thrivology action-stoking and thought-provoking quotes and phrases is now available for your purchasing pleasure. This book has already making tidal waves among those who appreciate content that is driven to give you a thrive-minded mentality and also reminders throughout the course of the week of the things you need to do to thrive. Guys, you can pick up my book, Thrivology, at thejmaney.com. Have you ever hired the wrong person? Did the resume give you the impression they would be a good fit because of their past accomplishments? I'm Cody Robinson, founder of Robinson Interview Consultants. We help employers reduce turnover, thus saving time and money through the screening and interview process. Utilizing proper question formulation and response interpretation, we identify candidates whose character and behaviors align with your vision, values, and culture. Check us out at interviewexperts.com for a complimentary review of your hiring practices. That's interviewexperts.com. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Work, traffic, grocery shopping, and now you're expected to come up with a tasty meal? Are you kidding me? We found Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon conveniently delivering meal kits right to your door. We're talking about delicious Martha Stewart recipes you can make at home quickly, ready in about 30 minutes. Like miso salmon and mushrooms with steamed spinach and jasmine rice. They even have low-calorie and low-carb options like Harissa buttered grilled chicken with spiced carrots and spinach salad. Oh, grilled steak and black pepper butter with green bean radish salad that's what we're having tonight oh i love steak martha stewart and marley spoon know your life gets hectic that's why they're flexible so you can skip or pause it whenever you want plus choose from 30 plus weekly meals the choices are amazing martha stewart and marley spoon meal kits quality ingredients and easy to follow recipes from martha stewart herself text chop to 32 32 32 right now to get 100 off over your first four orders that's 100 of free food just for texting the word chop to 32 32 32 text chop to 32 32 Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, we've got the founder of Rockstar Global Enterprises, Jeff Street. And the reason I'm excited about hearing from Jeff is because not only is he a entrepreneur, uber entrepreneur, but he's a, a speaker and a trainer, and he's coached thousands of individuals that are that came along the way looking for an opportunity 
to develop uh, another source of income to really express their entrepreneurial spirit. And since we're talking about a thriving you in 22, I know that people are looking for other avenues to express themselves where they can create this entrepreneurial experience and really generate either another source of income or maybe a complete pivot in career. But you've got to know how to do that with wisdom if you're going to thrive, if that's the direction you're going into in 22. So I couldn't think of a better person to really shed wisdom on how to do that than Jeff Street, who's been doing it for decades. Jeff, welcome to the show. Jay, honor and privilege to uh, be on the show here today. Appreciate everything you're doing, you know, how you're uplifting the community and just love the concept of helping more people thrive in 2022. Brother, I appreciate you too. And we're going to dive right into that. But before we do that, I'd like for you to share a little bit about your story with our audience. Yeah, no, absolutely, Jay. I I'm, I'm, grew up in uh, Rhode Island, smallest state of the country, went to school in uh, Philadelphia, and ended up as a sophomore in college. I get involved in the direct sales industry with a company called Excel Communications. Actually, uh, hit the executive director rank with that company. A month later, the company went out of business, and I uh, said I would never get back into the direct sales space again. So I opened up a uh, traditional business, Jay. I opened up a, a Nextel wireless store and went from one store to five stores and you know did pretty well for a handful of years. And then my industry really changed outside of my control. I'm sure many of the listeners have had a point in their life where circumstances changed outside of their control. And, you know, I uh, started bartending and catering and doing whatever I could to survive while trying to keep my business afloat. And as all that stuff was happening, you know, I'm a big believer that sometimes a setback is a setup for something greater and mm-hmm. got reintroduced to the direct, absolutely got reintroduced to the direct sales industry, part-time, spare-time basis. Five months later, uh, my business really took off for me and my six-month it exploded and sold my other business and never looked back. And that was 15 and a half years ago. But the best part of my story, you know, Jay, is about 10 years ago, I went to go do a presentation that I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, but you know what they say, it's the extra 5% that most people won't will get you the 95% that most people don't. And went mm-hmm. to do a presentation. I was living in Newport Beach, California at the time and went to Torrance, California, did a presentation, and I, I met a girl by the name of Melissa that day. And today, my today Melissa is my uh, amazing wife and my amazing uh, uh, business partner. So today we uh, just moved to Dallas, Texas, a little less than five months ago, and real excited to be down here in Dallas with you, my friend. Well, you know, I, I tell you something. I had a chance to hear you speak and and Melissa speak as well, and. And I was visiting one of the conferences, and which is why I was really excited to have you come on the show because I know the value that you can bring to to an audience and to uh, listeners that are thriving and that are hungry to thrive. And I was so impressed with not only you, brother, but I was, I think, 10 times more impressed with her. <laughs> she was a fireball, and she really spoke uh, with lots of passion and lots of clarity, and I was really impressed. And I say, you know, this is a power couple that's on the move, and uh, hence the reason why having you on the show was just a— just a, a, a natural thing to do. But you mentioned that your your life and the, the experiences you had in the past, some were up, some were down, but you mentioned that along the way, you had to do what you had to do to survive. But can you recall a specific time during this journey that you were on that it's what inspired you the most to really devote yourself to this life of, of being an entrepreneur? What were those turning points? Because there's probably many that are in those those moments right now and are looking for a turning point. 
No, 100%, brother. And first off, you mentioned my wife, and you know what they say, behind a, every good man is an even greater woman. And that's mm-hmm. definitely the case in, uh, in, in, in my uh, life. Uh, my wife is, is amazing. I'm very blessed. And, uh, you know, but as far as becoming an entrepreneur, it was when I was 19 years old. My dad got laid off after working 20 plus years for one company. I got bypassed for a promotion at a company I was working for because of my age. And I had met one of my first mentors, and he gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read the book. All three of those things happened in a 30-day period. I quit my corporate job literally the next day and told myself no matter what, I'd never work for anybody else for the rest of my life. You know, that's, that's probably the, the most common story that you're going to find among those who decided at, at a certain point in time in life that enough is enough. And uh, if it's going to change, I need to make those changes today. That's actually my story as well. I've got to the point that I realized for myself that I'm not wired to be an employee. I'm wired to be an entrepreneur. And you've got to follow in that calling. And I know many people today are. But one of the questions I want to ask is with so many different opportunities that you've pursued, uh, what is it that drew you to the ones that, that you're most passionate about now? Um, mentorship, Jay. And, you know, I think that, you know, that was the biggest key, you know, looking for mentorship, looking for a growth environment, looking to be involved in a, you know, a winning culture, you know, a culture of personal growth and self-development. You know what they say, the law of the universe, we're either growing or we're dying. We're either rotting or we're ripening. And I think so many people find themselves in a culture uh, where there is no growth. You know, I was also looking for fulfillment. You know, my mentor taught me years ago, if you help enough people get what they want, you get what you want. And so just to be involved in that environment, you know, when I had my Nextel stores, there was nobody that had ever gone to the top of Nextel, nobody that was one of the top, you know, franchisees in Nextel in the world ever come into my store to say, here's how you did it. You know, so for me, you know, I found it, you know, a great mentor and somebody that, you know, had what I wanted and, you know, was willing to teach me. So I followed him. You know, having a great mentor, having a positive winning environment, those are the probably the two most important ingredients. There's a few more, but those are the two most important ingredients that anyone who's looking for uh, another avenue of, of career exploration, they have to examine how is the mentoring going to affect my success? And what about the environment? Is it a winning environment? Is it a toxic environment? So for people that are looking to thrive uh, in 2022 in some form of business or entrepreneurial expression, those are two key ingredients that you have to examine before you make a decision where to go. But you've help thousands of people discover and develop their entrepreneurial spirit. What would you say are the common traits that you found among these thrive-minded people that were stuck or that they were lost uh, trying to figure out what to do next? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes people are just willing to draw a line in the sand. And I think that's what it's been you know, for, for all of us. I'm sure yourself as well, Jay. But, you know, as far as traits, you know, I, I think it's all universal, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're, you know, somebody that made it in the Olympics, whether you're somebody that's gone out and made it big in business, you know, it's hunger. It's a ferocious work ethic. It's somebody that's laser focused, somebody that's, you know, single minded. You know, you take a look at, you know, all the greats. You look at somebody like Michael Jordan and his obsession and his desire is passion for what it is that he did. If you've ever read his book by uh, Tim uh, or the book by Tim Grover, who was Michael Jordan's coach, just the, you know, the, the things that he went out and did that most people were not willing to do. Again, it's the things that most people are not willing to do that'll get you the things that most people will never go out and get. I couldn't agree with you more. If you're willing to go do something different, then you'll get something different. That's the bottom line. But let's talk about the experiences you've had in working and training and developing and helping entrepreneurs now for over a decade, thousands of 30, 40,000 of them, which is a staggering number. But the person that right now says, hey, I, I think I may be an entrepreneur. I may be looking for something new. 
what kinds of questions should a a curious or a budding entrepreneur be asking of themselves when exploring an entrepreneurial effort or their own business? A couple of different things. Number one is, you know, am I a persistent person? Do I have desire? I mean, Napoleon Hill says in Think and Grow Rich that desire is the turning point for all achievement. But the other thing is, who am I going to learn from? You know, who am I going to be mentored be, you know, by? Why do people pay over a million dollars for McDonald's? I think you'd agree, Jay, that nobody walks into McDonald's, has a bite of the burger, and falls in love and says, this is it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and buy McDonald's, best burger in the world. You know, they, they pay over a million dollars for McDonald's because of the system, because of mentorship, having a track to run on. And I think the third piece is, you know, timing in the, you know, industry. And I think we're, you know, all, you know, looking at potentially some uncertain times, you know, from an economic, you know, standpoint. And, you know, a lot of people are wondering, what if 2008, 2009, you know, repeats itself? So I think, am I looking at an industry that can withstand a recession proof? You know, am I, you know, looking for something that, regardless of what happens in the economy, you know, that can still thrive? You know, somebody Mm -hmm. told me a long time ago, find something that you like and make it your hobby and find something that the masses can't live without and, you know, make it your business. So again, you know, your personal mindset, mentorship and timing in your industry, uh, those are the biggest three for, for, for me. You know, that's brilliant advice. And I want to share with you that I hope that listeners that are uh, intently listening to the wisdom that you're sharing, take that to heart because there's a lot of gold in there. But in our last two minutes here, I'm going to ask you three questions. And I apologize for the fact that we're going to come at you rapid fire, but I don't want to leave the, the segment without these questions being answered by someone with your experience and, and, and knowledge. In your observation, last year, many more people turned to something entrepreneurially as a second source of income than ever before. Do you think that's going to change now that this pandemic is sort of dying down a little bit? Or did it just, did that just spark a spirit in people that they didn't know was there? Uh, Jay, I think that, you know, people are waking up to the fact that job security is a thing of the past. Look mm-hmm. what's going on in the airline industry right now. People are losing their jobs because they won't compromise with their personal beliefs or they're compromising their beliefs to keep their job. What if more people had another income, especially if it was something that was residual or passive? What kind of options, what kind of choices, you know, would people have? I think for the W-2 profession, you know, a second stream of income is becoming a necessity. It's not a want to, it's a have to. I think, you know, for somebody that's an employee today, if they don't have a side hustle, you know, they're really a volunteer victim in today's Mm. time. I love that. A volunteer victim. So in the last few seconds here, there are many industries that people can go into. Not everything is for everybody, obviously. So you have to exercise something that, or at least explore something that aligns with your identity, aligns with what you believe. What would you say are the are the most, uh, the, the top industries that people are seeking or looking into for this entrepreneurial experience? I mean, I think people need to look at something that's direct to consumer. Like, look what's going on with Amazon. I mean, brick and mortar is truly turning a click and order. You know, retail is going virtual. And there's a lot of great industries to really look at in today's time. The health and wellness industry is exploding. The insurance business is exploding. You know, I happen to be in the utility space when it comes to direct to consumer. And, you know, look at what happened with the moratorium. You know, look what happened with the landlord. So, you know, I follow the 1%. Look at Carlos Slim. What, in, you know, industry involved in the wireless industry. You look at Richard Branson, who actually owns, you know, Virgin, you know, Mobile. You take a look at Warren Buffett owns Geico Insurance and is a big, you know, endorser of what's happening in the energy space today from an opportunity standpoint. But I think no matter what it is that you do, you know, again, the days of brick and mortar, you know, are gone. 
Jeff, we appreciate your wisdom, your knowledge. Clearly, you're a guy who's on the move. You're a rising rock star, and that's why your business is called such. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a, a call to hop on here, but my friend, you've got an open mic here whenever you need one to share your wisdom to help us thrive, continuing to thrive uh, in our lives. So I appreciate being on the show, Jeff. Jay, thank you so much for the opportunity. God bless, and you know, have an amazing day, my friend. Thank you. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break. Does your company have a decision-making process that is repeatable, reliable, and consistent? Hello, my name is Gerard Ibarra. I'm a consultant, author, and speaker. I teach companies how to make better decisions. With my process, companies become more efficient, get buy-in from the stakeholders, keeps their emotions at bay, and make better decisions for the overall benefit of the company. Contact me today at G-E-R-A-R-D-I-B-A-R-R-A.com, GerardIbarra.com, to learn more and receive a free 30-minute consultation. Are you struggling to find great employees? Is it frustrating to find and keep top talent? Hi, my name is Glenn Richardson. I'm the founder and chief talent advisor of Rhodium Talent Advisors. We recognize that finding employees can feel like searching for a diamond in the rough, but we make hiring easy. Our four-step fit factor process is expertly designed to help you save time, save money, and hire better. Call us today at 972-515- 2965 or free consultation and free hiring process review. Criminals are definitely crazy, but they're smart enough to always make sure no cops are around. You can call 911, but by the time the police arrive, criminals are done and gone. Every week we read about another crazy person shooting random people until the police arrive. The Constitution gave you and me the solution to these problems 230 years ago. We are the United States Concealed Carry Association. Safe, sane, responsible Americans. USCCA.com. If you're like most people, you're probably more than a little concerned about the state of the world around us today. Strange times. The stock market all-time highs every day. U.S. debt never been higher right now. Dollars losing value. And let's not forget about inflation, the highest since 2008. Remember what happened in 2008. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, many people, just like you, are turning to Old Faithful to protect themselves during these difficult times. And Old Faithful is real gold and silver from the Oxford Gold Group, the kind you can actually hold in your hands and have in your IRA. No better time than the present to protect your future and the future of your family. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-928-GOLD. They will send you their free guide on investing in gold and silver and answer all of your questions. Protect your money before things get even worse out there. Call the Oxford Gold Group today at 833-928-GOLD. Oxford is here to help you protect your savings and retirement. That's 833-928-GOLD. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Excited about our final guest today. And we've saved the best for last, guys. I said early on when we started off this show that we were going to have a jam-packed show full of great content and great individuals to share their wisdom. Well, right now, finishing up our show today is not only one of the most prolific speakers on the on the circuit today, one of the most renowned speakers, impactful speakers that you can find anywhere, but he's the 2020 World Champion of Public Speaking uh, for Toastmasters. And that's exciting because that is a competition that has been around for 95-plus years. And every year it generates close to 30,000 contestants and participants around the world. So to be ranked the champion globally, it's a big deal. And we're excited to have Mike Carr on the show. We've got some announcements to make with Mike as well. But let's get started. Mike, welcome to the show. 
Uh, thank you, Jay. It's good to be with you and, and all your listeners. Thanks for thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you. T- I know you've got a busy schedule. Uh, you've got lots of things happening. So let's go ahead and dive right into the goodness of what you share, what you're sharing. But before we do that, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey to date? I, pre- I appreciate it. Yes, I would say years ago, coming out of out of college and even starting in college, started working in politics a little bit and thought mm. I might want to make my my living there. And I actually worked for two U.S. senators. One was a Republican and one was a Democrat. So I'm either a traitor or I'm balanced, depending <laughs> on <laughs> what your your viewpoint is. Uh, pretty soon, recognized that that politics might be a a pretty nasty place to make a living. So mm-hmm. I, I was always interested in economics and transitioned over to Merrill Lynch. Merrill was just beginning to do financial planning at the time. And I, I really believed in that format. So did that for a while, ended up selling that business to UBS and then managing offices for UBS for a while. And while I was there and looking at something else, started doing more consulting and and speaking and started then the what I call the consistency initiative at that time and it was doing consulting to companies and organizations about what we saw on the investment side what were the most well-run companies that produced results and then UBS was ready to wanting to move me away from my Austin Texas but my family really enjoyed it here and we loved it so transitioned over and and bought into a business with some partners that is uh, the oldest fee-only RIA firm in Austin, Texas. Mm. So let me ask you this, Mike. Here you have a very successful financial services career. You you buy into a partnership, and and then all of a sudden you take a turn to Toastmaster uh, and to the world of public speaking. Can you walk us through that transitional thinking that led you to make a decision like that? Oh, sure. Sure. And I had started in Toastmasters 25 plus years ago. In fact, the a lot of people who asked me about winning the World Championship of Public Speaking said, you know, what, what was it like? How did you do it? And I said, you know, I just kept failing until I didn't. Because mm. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some people who win this and their story is, yeah, I entered Toastmasters four months ago and then I just won the World Championship of Public Speaking. Not my story. Mine is try for 25 years and all of a sudden it happened. And, and I entered Toastmasters because I had just started a financial planning practice, like I mentioned at Merrill Lynch, and had a really good friend tell me, Mike, you go on too long, you go off on tangents, <laughs> you have all of, every other word is an ah or um or so, and, and he said, there's this group called Toastmasters that might help you with that. So I went into Toastmasters, and it was just, I was so blessed. It was a group in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that had a number of professional speakers, and they really helped me. And I just, I started entering the contest then. The contest was a way to improve speaking, and I used then speaking as a platform to do financial seminars that helped me build that first business. You know, it's interesting. One of the things you just said that I heard as you began to give the answer as to uh, this through this transition and why after 25 years you finally uh, became successful as the, as the world champion, I heard tenacity. I heard persistency. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I heard uh, commitment no matter what. That's what I heard. And I think if you look at that experience 
and and that discipline that you had to never give up. Enough things went wrong. You you failed enough times to figure out eventually, inevitably, I'm going to get it right. That's a that's a life lesson for many people in many different areas that they can walk away from right now. So I appreciate the mic drop. Um, but winning the world's largest speech. Uh, this contest means that, as I said earlier, you had to compete about, among some of the best people, over 30,000. So I guess my question to you is, what runs through your mind? I know 25 years, but what runs through your mind when you are facing this, this, this task of beating so many people globally? It's a, it's a really interesting question because my mindset is a little different than some others who have won this before. Mm-hmm. They many, many who have won this before said, you know, I wrote on my mirror, I am the world champion of public speaking, whatever year that they won. That that was not my path. And so I feel like that in the there's a there's a broader population that I really feel like I can speak to and can follow that. I'm a big fan, I've become a big fan of Kaizen. Kaizen is a Japanese concept that Toyota used to get where they are. It was actually developed by an American, W. Edwards Deming, early, um, right at the beginning of World War II. But it's this idea of slow but incremental and constant improvement. So when I first started 25 years ago into the World Championship of Public Speaking, 30,000 people come in. That was my BHAG. To win the World Championship of Public Speaking was my my BHAG. And you talked about tenacity a minute ago. It, It it was a double-edged sword because there came a point where the constant failure became discouraging. So it's really interesting. It was when I eliminated the BHAG from my my mindset and just took a Kaizen approach. I, I, I literally did not focus on the 30,000. I didn't focus on winning the contest. I walked in to the very beginning speech, I thanked my creator that I was able to deliver this message to the one individual in the audience who really needed to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I just tried to give the very best presentation and content that I could. And then when I had, then I would have, then I had opportunity to go give that speech again at the next level. Now I technically, I technically won but I was more focused on just the next step than the 30,000 or winning the contest. And it's really interesting. It's only when I did that mm-hmm. that I actually won the contest. Yeah, you know, Mike, I, I, I love doing this show so much because the value that I know my listeners gain from the wisdom of the, of the guest speakers and not only what I am able to, to carve away for myself, uh, so that's one of the reasons I love doing this show. And one of the things you just said was key. You focused on that one person. And if you know, uh, go, if you knew going into it that there's only going to be one person whose life is going to be impacted by your speech, by your talk, by your message, then uh, no one else really matters. They do, but they really don't because it's that one person that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. I learned that lesson years ago when I was doing men's ministry. I was uh, at a at a firehouse in, in Wayne, New Jersey, and there had to be about 100 men there. And I was going and blowing, and I was preaching and teaching, and, and I, I had stuff, books, I had my books to sell. And, and I thought I did. I thought I knocked it out of the park, Mike. <laughs> I made, I made, yeah. I mean, I made God happy. So, yeah. but no one bought a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, I think that the pastor felt so bad for me. He gave me like a love offering towards the end on the way home. But it turns out about six years later, Mike, you'll love this story. About six years later, I get a Facebook message from a guy that was in that audience. He was one of the guys visiting the, the, the firehouse that night. And he says to me, Jay, you may not remember me, but my name is Chris. And I just wanted to show you pictures of my family now. 
And I said, that's nice. He, we were connected on Facebook. Turns out he was there that night. The message that I, that I shared touched his life. He got his life together, and he went on to marry his, uh, his girlfriend, and now he's a family man raising kids, got his life back on track. I did not know that for six years, but at that moment when I read that Facebook message that Chris sent me, for me, it made sense that it doesn't matter how many are in the room. It only matters if you affect one person. It was worth it. Focus on the right. one person. So, brother, I'm in agreement and alignment with what you just said. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let me ask you communication. Let's talk about communication because you're a great communicator. Uh, and if we have to begin the uh, pick up the conversation on the second half, and, and we probably will, we'll do that. But what makes a great communicator? Mm. Yeah, I, I think it is uh, first and foremost, oddly enough, listening. Mm. <laughs> I uh I, I told one. I said that to to a guy one time, and he said, "Oh, um, so you speak about listening? How ironic!" <laughs> and, it, and it really is because because we as as leaders, fathers, parents, even people walking about in the in the world, there are a lot of people who you know, communication is talking. But but the very best communicators that I've ever run into, they they led with listening. And they got all the information they need to say exactly what they needed to. So I'd say that's the that's the first thing. Yeah, one of the things I've always told people is conversation is not communication. Just because you're having a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody doesn't mean you're communicating with anybody. You know, communication happens when there's an alignment, uh, there's an agreement of thought, there's, there's a compliance that happens between two people sharing that uh, what they are arriving at, uh, the thought they're arriving at, they arrive there together. But if you're not having that, that's not communication, you're just having a conversation. Mike, when we pick up after the break, I'd like for you to share tips. Now, a lot of our listeners are business owners, entrepreneurs. These are folks that are out there in the marketplace. You know, they're on their own uh, uh, stages and, and, and speaking their product or service. What tips can you offer to with our listeners to help them sharpen their speaking acts in a way that makes them more effective? Let's tackle that after the break. If your business is struggling with time-consuming payroll processing, employee handbooks that are outdated, and overall employee relations issues, let Excellian Business and HR Solutions help you by becoming your HR outsourcing business partner. Excellian Business and HR Solutions offers over 30 years of HR experience in the public and private sector. We're your one-stop shop HR business partner. We're a certified minority woman-owned business enterprise. Find us at Excellian.com. You probably only think about insurance when you need it, but at Higginbotham, we have insurance specialists thinking about your risks and how to cover them year-round. We start with listening and end with a custom solution that fits your needs and budget. Whether it's for your home, car, health, business, or employees, Higginbotham has you covered. Higginbotham is a place that leads with values, so your value leads. Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation with Mike Carr, the world champion of public speaking for Toastmasters. And, boy, he is dropping just great wisdom. And he's about to drop some more because we left off in our last segment asking him for tips that he can share with our listeners to help us become greater communicators. So let's pick up from there, Mike. Well, I, pr- I appreciate it. You, you know, it's, it's really interesting, Jay, so many of your listeners being leaders, entrepreneurs, if, if you're familiar with the, the DISC personality mm-hmm. assessment, mm-hmm. it's D-I-S-C. And 
they ask a lot of questions and then you get assigned a letter and, and B is dominant, I is influencer, S is steady, C is conscientious. It's it's really fascinating because a lot of a lot of leaders, fifty percent of leaders are D dominant, right? Mm-hmm. But only three percent of the population are D's. So D there are a lot of leaders out there who build messaging the way that would motivate them, the way that they see the world. But they're only 3% of the population, which means up to 97% of their team views the world differently than they do. And then they wonder why their teams don't come into alignment and everything else. And, And I've had leaders say to me, well, why then don't my team come up and tell me, hey, that's not motivating for me? And I said, well, let me ask you this. When you're at a point where you're going to make hiring decisions or promotion decisions, are you going to promote someone who buys into your vision or not? And all of a sudden, you see their eyes get wide. They go, of course, they don't want to get fired or they want to get the pay raise. They're going to tell me what I want to hear. And so it's the reason that I said leading with listening is that we just have to understand you know, the numbers mm-hmm. around the fact that most leaders view the world differently than most of their teams do. So if they start listening to the way their teams view the world, then number two, they know exactly how to communicate. And what I would suggest is we communicate with stories. I don't, you know, don't have the time to go through all of the research behind it, but there's a great book that was recently written by Robert Schiller, Nobel Prize laureate from 2013 called Narrative Economics, where he makes the case that things like the Great Depression didn't happen because of what was happening in the business environment. They happened because of the story society started telling themselves. Mm. We are so hardwired by our creator to remember stories because years ago, that was the only way, you know, the the oral tradition passed down. Years ago, that was the only way you knew, oh yeah, don't go walking through the tall grass because remember Uncle Ted walked through the tall grass and got mauled by a lion. Yet when leaders listen to their teams and they really hear the way that teams view the world, and, and, and I can't underscore enough, they have to listen without agenda then they know what kinds of stories to tell that then reverberate through their teams to create alignment and everybody pulling in the same direction. You know, I love what you said. A great communicator is somebody who's able to understand their audience. And in terms of a a leadership standpoint or an organizational standpoint, knowing who your people are oftentimes will craft and cultivate and customize the message that is going to be most well-received by them. And, uh, you know, generally everyone's different, but at the end of the day, there's so many common threads among us all that there are some messages that we can deliver that will be received by, by the masses. But There's something to be said about having an understanding of who's in front of you and cater your message to them. That's what makes a great communicator. So I appreciate you you sharing that. That's very, very different from what I think most people would imagine a great speaker or a great communicator to be. But one of the things you talked about also is that that people love surprises. Audiences love surprises. And what makes a speaker or communicator so effective is when they do surprise people uh, in certain ways. Can you share a little bit about that? Because you're a master at that. Well, you're very kind to say that, but it is it is right. It, it's it's something that I noticed when I started trying to add more humor into my speeches for the Toastmaster contest. Mm-hmm. That I'm not not a naturally funny person. I 
I, I think my strength is telling stories and maybe really being poignant, but I noticed that that usually the funnier speech, you know, all things being equal, might win the contest, and it was way a way I could I could level up by adding more humor. So when I I started getting books to study why does the brain laugh, what happens there, and in almost every case with humor, there is a surprise that happens that that the audience laughs. So the very first, you know, take that old classic joke, take my wife. Please, you know, the, there, that, that please is you're not expecting that. And so that the brain, it's kind of it's a silly environment and, and the brain is surprised and it's, it's actually an emotional response. So it builds it builds bonding with the audience. But the same is actually the, very true in the reverse as well. There was in, in a speech that I gave called Blue where I was talking about the death of my friend, but I didn't start it out talking about that. We were having fun and we were laughing and there was a lot of humor. And then all of a sudden there, I was surprised that a very routine surgery, she happened to pass away. in, mm. And the surprise of that to the audience also creates a bonding experience with between the speaker and the audience and creates that emotional tie. So, our brains, our brains actually, they love to be surprised, not shocked, but surprised. And to, to work on that creates, builds that bond between audience and speaker. You know, I, I've seen some of the best speakers out there know how to do that so well that one minute they can have an audience crying, one minute they can have an audience laughing, one minute they can have an, an audience uh, sober. Uh, and they can do that all within 15, 20 minutes on stage uh, because of those stories. So I, I totally agree with that. But one of the things that we've experienced over the last 18 months or so is the rise of virtual meeting, right? It was always there, but the pandemic mm -hmm. really forced people to go into this virtual environment, this virtual meeting experience and, and events. And, and a lot of folks are still there today. So how can someone ramp up their ability to communicate, their communication skills now since we're in a highly virtual world? Mm. I would say one word, experiment, mm. because we are in the communication version of the beginning of the internet. We, we look at, if you think about when the internet came in, it was uncertain, it was disruptive, you didn't know quite what you could do with it, what you could not do with it, where it was going to go, but it created a lot of fear and disruption. It also created huge amounts of opportunity. Communicating virtually is doing much of the same thing. There are advantages, like if you are speaking to a ballroom of 3,000, you cannot intimately get face-to-face -face with every member of that audience. But virtually, you can do that to an audience of 100,000 mm. and really be to be virtually virtual that way. There are things that you can do in a virtual environment that you cannot do in a live, in a live environment, in-person environment, and vice versa. But we've only begun to scratch the surface, I believe, on how quality virtual events can be. It's so hard right now to build rapport over Zoom like you can in a in-person cocktail hour, for example, or an in-person networking meeting. But someone will crack that code and will be able to help humans connect a lot better virtually and probably create a, bit, a great business for themselves. So I got a lot of kudos in my final speeches because I really used the medium of virtual. 
But I will tell you, it was just through trial and error, just experimenting out of nervousness <laughs> and trying to do something that looked a little different. So experiment, 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 and, and good, happy accidents will come out of that. I like that. Good, happy accidents will come after uh, enough experimenting. So I, I appreciate that. There's lots of wisdom in that because people are wondering, how do I project a, a message uh, in a virtual format that I'm better at in person? And uh, I get that question asked often. But you and I had a conversation, and in doing my my sort of research and my recon, one of the things I found out about you, Mike, and and I'm very impressed, brother. You're a father of eight kids, so you have like your own brokerage. <laughs> you've, you've got your own agency. <laughs> right? So, but you and your wife Julie, you've lived and you've experienced team performance. <laughs> right? right. I mean, right from the grassroots. What would you? share in our final few minutes here, what would you share uh, as two key aspects critical to an environment, whether it's corporate or familial, to an environment's ability to foster this admirable teen performance? Certainly. Uh, one, I'll, I'll share with you three because one I've already shared listening. We really try to listen. I learned that my dad was the best listener I'd ever met. And I felt what that was like in his presence. And so we try to try to do that with our kids also. The, the second, I would say, is clear communication, that in, in our environment, we really try to listen to our kids. And, I, and I've, I, it's actually bled over into times when I was leading teams at UBS and, and other companies, is there comes a point where I would ultimately say to the kids, because we, we really wanted to respect their viewpoints, respect their point of view, but then a direction has to be made for any organization, a family, a company, a, a church, a, a mosque, anywhere. And so ultimately, we found ourselves saying to the kids, okay, I hear you and we've made our decision, not because my decision is better than yours, you know, only time will show what the best decision is. It's only because that someone has to make the final decision. And right or wrong, that mantle is laid on me as the parent. And so I really appreciate your input. It's valuable. Even you know, if we were making a decision opposite what they wanted, then said, this is the way we've decided to go. And at some point, if you're proven right, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and tell you I think you were right. But just not I, I see I see a lot of leaders not wanting to be prescriptive, and so they they say things in a way that feels softer, but mm -hmm. it it's not clear enough. And and people who follow us, children, employees, or volunteers, at the at the end of the day, they do want their opinions valued, but they also they need a direction, they need a decision made, and they need clear communication. And then finally, I would I would say we we told a lot of stories around our house that tried to be a drip process that would drip wisdom. You know, because kids roll their eyes when mm -hmm. their parents say anything. <laughs> oh yeah, but the, you know, the, yeah, yeah, boomer. The the world's different now. But there are human nature is not significantly different. Humans do not macro evolve uh, very quickly, and so we would try to tell stories that dripped truths like Kaizen truths or uh, never give up truths, mm -hmm. constantly be moving forward, those kinds of things. And little by little, 
then that would work into the psyche <laughs> of the kids, and we would see change happen gradually. Well, listening, clear communication, and a, dip, a drip process of wisdom, those are very actionable steps that we can all mimic to have better team performance, not only in our family, in our home life, but our organizations and our businesses. So I appreciate that, uh, those words of wisdom. Mike, I'm excited that you and I are going to be actually speaking at an upcoming event now in Dallas on November 5th and 6th. It's the Toastmasters Fall Conclave. Uh, I, I've been honored to have been given the opportunity to uh, be the keynote speaker on Friday, but you're the keynote speaker on Saturday night. In our last 10 seconds, from uh, in our last 10 seconds rather, what kind of message should people expect to, uh, expect to hear from you that night? We're going to be talking about the single most important skill for clear communication. You know, some of it will be familiar to, to what we've just talked about, but, but there's a lot of it that won't be or we'll go into more detail. Well, I'm excited to hear you speak live. We're going to have a chance to really have great fellowship that night. I encourage listeners to attend the Toastmasters Fall Conclave, November 5th and 6th. We'll have more information up at the jmamietalkshow.com. Mike, we appreciate you being on the show today, brother. Have a blessed week, my friend. Folks, we look forward to having you again next Sunday for your next hour of Thrive Time on the Jay Mamie Talk Show.